part of the reason that that this Sheikh Jarrah dispute has taken on this life is that it so perfectly highlights so many of the critical issues, the critical macro issues on a micro level. again so much for joining us here in the caves of Altamira for episode nine. This episode, we're going to be taking a bit of a turn away from our topic last time, which was delving into some of the biggest and kind of most profound questions, I guess, that shape politics and our experience and engagement with the political world in terms of asking, you know, what what are we doing? What are, what are we trying to accomplish? Why are we engaging at all? Um, and uh, I think our discussion with Dr. Gene Healy really opened up some really thoughtful and interesting avenues for approaching these kinds of weighty questions. And of course, this week, our topic is of no less significance. I mean, it's an issue that has in some way, shape or form been at the forefront um, to varying degrees of the global political discourse for decades, dating nearly 50, 60, 70 years. Uh, And depending on with, with this with this conflict and with the issues surrounding this, I mean, you can go back centuries, millennia, right? And that would be the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Um, obviously, this has recently risen into the, the center and the forefront of the global political discourse centered around the conflict in Gaza or the exchange of rocket fire um, with the Hamas-led um, Gaza forces in Gaza firing rockets into Israel and Israel responding or... Um, acting with a intense and and sustained missile bombardment that has, on both sides, people have died, but clearly um, the people in Gaza have suffered um, large amounts of casualties and huge amounts of damage to physical infrastructure. And, and you know, these are um, just the, the, the facts on the ground, but um, I think our discussion today goes a good way in trying to put this into some context and then offer some different ways for understanding this. Um, You know, for those of you who have been listening regularly, usually these take on a little bit more of an interview slash discussion format. I mean, certainly my discussion last week with Dr. Healy was kind of along those lines. Um, But uh, as with the episode we had with Chris Tharp on the woke wars and wokeness, um, I, I do want this to be somewhat of a space where I can have some guests on and we can have a little bit of an engagement, a little bit of debate. And I think what you're going to find with my fantastic and, and extremely knowledgeable and thoughtful guest, Mike Hilkowitz, um, today is a little bit of that, where we're, we're both digging in, we're both trying to understand this in, in a broader perspective and try to uncover some of the roots of these things and, and think about different solutions and ideas that have been proposed for coming to some sort of negotiated settlement and and the roadblocks that have emerged in terms of those and where some of these antagonisms come from and how different sides see the same facts quite differently. And I I think that comes out in my discussion with Mike is that um, we, we are in general agreement about the empirical facts, things that happen, but I think 
you'll see it in different faces. We perhaps draw somewhat different conclusions about their meaning or, or implications. And I, I think that's good. And, and I think we're, we're often told or, you know, in, in the age of kind of hyper, I don't even like the word partisanship or there is something about the internet that does allow you to kind of cordon yourself off and surround yourself with like-minded people. And and that seems to be kind of, at least in the United States where we've ended up, is that people kind of have their camps and then they come on. I, I don't use Twitter, but I, I'm familiar with Twitter through listening to people talk about Twitter. And it that's what it strikes me as, is this kind of global ideological war zone where people, it's like the one place where people of different camps engage each other. And, and from what I've been led to believe, it's, it's a lot of invective and ad hominem and nastiness and, and so forth. So um, what I'm hoping is that in its own small way, this show in, in the case of Altamira as a project can be also a space where people like myself and, and um, Mike Hilkowitz and Chris Tharp and, and so forth, some of my other the guests today and, and the guests from a, a few weeks ago can look at the same thing, see it differently, appreciate each other's you know, intellect and, and views of the world and see that it's coming from a good place and, and just somehow, and just at times, just see it very differently and, and in some ways um, try to have each other kind of understand where we're coming from and, and how it's seen, but also being okay with that and not having that need to devolve into some sort of full-on you know, verbal assault and invective and, and, you know, nastiness, right? Um, so again, we're often encouraged to do such things, but I think at the same time, um, at least from what I've seen, there's not a lot of modeling of that going about. Um, so uh, in its own small way, um, I'm hoping that these discussions above and beyond the insights that hopefully they they offer and, and the light they shed on these important topics that they can be in their own way a model for how such conversations can and, and often do occur. On that note, um, this conversation or debate or dialogue uh, did go a bit long. Um, there was, there's obviously almost an infant ground to cover in this, in this issue area, and I'm certainly not saying we covered it all, but we talked for a good while and we did cover quite a bit of ground. Um, but I made the decision to split our discussion into two episodes. I think I found a reasonably nice place to um, divide it up. So today, this will be part one. And if all things go to plan next week, part two should be released. So stay tuned for that. And lastly, before um, we turn to our guest and, and tell you a little bit about uh, Mr. Hilkowitz, um, I just wanted to thank everyone for listening and downloading and sharing the show. Um, it was a really happy moment for me. I think about a week or so ago, um, we hit our 1,000 total download. And to me, that just, it was, I, I'm really uh, appreciative. And, you know, it's quite humbling that so many people have checked the show out and, and given it a listen. And I, I hope you do um, enjoy the conversations we have. As always, um, please reach out through our Facebook group. Um, also, um, our email, the Caves of Altamira podcast at gmail.com. Send an email, uh, any suggestions, requests, whatever. Just reach out, say hello. Um, it would be great to hear from you. Uh, and uh, yeah, just thank you so much for making the show um, a success, for listening, sharing, downloading, what have you. Um, it, it's, it, it is, I don't want to sound cheesy or cliche, but it really is an honor um, and honestly quite humbling to think that, yeah, people listen to the show and, and it's cool. 
So thank you so much. Okay, so before we jump into the conversation, I just want to tell you a little bit about Mr. Mike Hilkowitz. He received a bachelor degree in history and secondary education from the fantastic Temple University, of course, my alma mater. I'm a graduate of the Temple uh, Political Science PhD program, so that's a that's already a positive in his category, of course. Uh, he's worked as a teacher of history and English for over 10 years, both in the U.S. and Israel. Uh, he's lived in Israel for um, nearly 10 years now. Uh, he's resided in Jerusalem as well as Tel Aviv, and he is currently living in the city of Rishon Lezion, which is in roughly the center of Israel. His opinions and editorials are frequently published on the Times of Israel English Language News website. Um, I will send some links. He's written some excellent pieces. Uh, I will post those in the show notes, so please check those out. And he formerly served as the Director of Content for the Israel Innovation Fund. Uh, he's currently a master's student writing his thesis in the National Security and Diplomacy Program at Tel Aviv University, and his focus is on the nature of political violence. So obviously, um, he's delved into these questions of the use of violence and force, and obviously, sadly, that has been something that has colored the life uh, in Israel and Palestine now for um, many, many years. I think we have a really interesting discussion and a wide-ranging one, and one where we appreciate the good faith that each other is bringing to the table. And, and I think it, it, it creates, in my mind, um, quite a bit more light than heat, which is always the goal with any kind of these engagements. And on that note, I, of course, realize that um, particularly with the more recent military confrontation, that these are things that people uh, rightly bring very strong feelings and emotions either way to. Um, and I would just ask that try as much as possible to um, whatever side, you know, or whatever view you're bringing to this, um, to listen with an open mind and listen to what Mike has to say and listen to, I guess, what I have to say. I don't know. Um, he's much more of an expert on these things than I am. So maybe, you know, listen to what he has to say. And uh, that's he's not being presented as someone who's right or or no, you know, is, is giving the correct view. Neither am I presenting myself that way. Uh, but I think what you will find are two people who um, care about this issue, who are familiar with this issue, and who ultimately hope to see some settlement or resolution that can end the cycle of violence that has plagued this region for far too long. So without further ado, let's get to the conversation. Mike Hilkowitz, thanks so much for joining us here in the Caves of Altamira. Uh, thank you. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, I, I kind of want to just, in some ways, start with the most recent events and maybe work our way back um, um, as we kind of progress from there. But let's let's just start right from what's been going on, you know, the last two or three weeks and uh, the recent spat of, of violence and exchange of rocket fire and so forth. And ostensibly, right, this was started over a dispute over some, you know, maybe 10 to 15 dwellings in East Jerusalem. Is that correct? Uh, and four. Four actually. dwellings in East Jerusalem. Uh, well, sorry. For at the moment, two. two. Two homes, two homes, four 
like four family dwellings, but in two two buildings that are close to both the Al Aqsa Mosque and is it in the Temple Mount, right? The, so the, yeah, the Dome so of the Rock, the, or yeah. So the the neighborhood in question is called uh, Sheikh Jarrah, and it's a relatively old neighborhood just outside the old city walls in Jerusalem. One of the the shames about this whole thing is the world only really pays attention when these things flare up. But the the question of Sheikh Jarrah and what to do with it and how how to handle it has been working its way through the Israeli courts for about 25, 30 years. And so this is not a, a new situation as much as the world might just be opening it, its eyes to it. And it's, it's also not an isolated situation. So there's this issue, like there's this meta issue, like to my understanding of like whose land is, is you know, the holy land between the River Jordan and, and the Mediterranean, right? And like who, like what, who I mean, well, know, let, so like, but, but what I, I'm kind of where I'm leading with this is that at the same time, there is this like litany of very specific land ownership disputes that almost are about specific parcels, right? So it's interesting, like yeah. like you're saying, I think the world focuses on kind of the meta issue of like whose land is the quote unquote holy land. But like you're saying, it often reduces down to 947 so-and-so way, like who yeah. owns that house and like what, where, where was the deed in 1949 versus 1960 and, you know. Absolutely. Right. And um, so this is like, this is in that kind of pool of property disputes that in, in though, though there's this weird context, I mean, take on like a kind of civil dispute kind of characteristic. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good distinction to make um, because we have two different kinds of things here when it comes to these land disputes. You have sort of, like you said, the, the meta, the, the macro level dispute of who holds sovereignty and which government should have authority. Um, but then there's all this, also these micro disputes that are really in some ways individual disputes by individual landowners and tenants and things like that about privately owned land. Um, and this is one of the most confusing things about this. And one of the things that's led to the most misinformation about what goes on in the conflict, you can, you know, you've, you've probably seen the, the meme that is four maps of the, the territory that we're talking about, Israel, the West Bank, Gaza, Israel, Palestine, whatever you want to term it, and it shows the dispossession of Palestinian land over four maps. Now, the issue is, and it's, it's a really misleading meme, because the issue is that it says, basically, No, that there's not a misleading meme. Those don't exist. <laughs> Every meme is totally... Every meme is dead on, yeah. <laughs> okay, um, go ahead. But no, no, but it, it gets to, like, the meme gets to a real difference in the way different people view the conflict. Uh, and it's actually very telling because the first map has the whole land green and it's Palestine, right? And it's supposed to represent 1946. 
the problem with calling the whole land, you know, Palestine in 1946 is it's not really so accurate, right? In 1946, this land was the British mandate of Palestine. It was not controlled by Palestinians. It was not controlled by Jews or Israelis. It was under the, you know, the sovereignty of the British. Before that, it was under the sovereignty of the Ottoman Empire. Before that, the, the Mamelukes, the Romans, the Greeks, right? It's, it's a long history. But, but it, it looks at the map as though there is no private property right it's 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 creating political borders that weren't actually there and ignoring that many areas in 1946 in this map that is all palestinian many land areas you know at that time were owned by jews many land areas were owned by arabs many land areas were owned by absentee landlords living in beirut and damascus so the the question of whose land is it, right? We have this this macro level, um, and then we have this micro level, and we have neighborhoods, especially around Jerusalem, because the the in the in the eyes of the Israeli government, the legal uh, issues in East Jerusalem are different than in the West Bank, and this is another one of these things that complicates. The issues is the different legal standards that are used in different places. East Jerusalem was annexed by Israel. Uh, it's not recognized by, by the international community, but in terms of Israeli law in East Jerusalem, Israeli civil law is applied, whereas in the West Bank, Israeli military law is applied because Israel considers the West Bank to be under military occupation and it considers East Jerusalem to be Israeli territory. And it's a really important distinction. So we have these neighborhoods, Abu Tor, uh, Silwan, uh, Sheikh Jarrah, which are, you know, East Jerusalem neighborhoods where before 1948, Jews lived. And when the Jordanians took these areas in East Jerusalem in, in 1948, at the, you know, at the end of, during the, the, the Nakba, as the, the Palestinians refer to it, and, you know, the Israeli war for independence, as, as Israelis talk about it, mm. um, these were areas that the Jewish residents were ethnically cleansed from. Private, their private property was taken, and they were they were removed and kicked out of the land. So, uh, in in the in the specific case of Sheikh Jarrah, um, in 1956, the Jordanian government, which was in control of this territory at the time, made a deal with UNRWA, which is the um, the UN agency that is specifically created with the mandate of dealing with uh, the Palestinians. So the Jordanians and UNRWA made a deal to give these properties to uh, Palestinian refugees who had been living in um, what had now become Israel. 
and had and had fled or had been kicked out during the war. Right. So they took these Jewish owned properties and gave them to Palestinian refugees without, you know, regard to the owner's rights, which, you know, is problematic. Not to say that Israel didn't do many similar things on the other side. Right. Well, that's what's coming to mind, because, I mean, if like if this is a story of people having like under either direct or indirect political and and potentially violent pressure to flee or vacate a residence and then having that residence seized by others. I mean, I'm starting to think I'm like, well, I've heard that story before. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's part of what makes untangling this conflict so difficult, right? Everyone's been wrong and everyone is seeking justice. And unfortunately, in many ways, it's at least in the way we're thinking now and the, you know, the current way we look at it, it's hard to think about how to get justice for both people here, for both groups. So so you have the and and, and to be fair to Israel. Right. And, and I try when I'm talking to to be as unbiased as possible. But I'm an, you know, I'm an Israeli. I live here. You know, but to be fair, the Israeli Supreme Court has ruled in favor of Palestinians in these land disputes many times in the past. And there have been parts of settlements that had to be torn down because the the plot of land that these four houses was built on was privately owned Palestinian land. Right. So the the courts have have ruled generally not always in in cases that have come before them in favor of at least giving restitution to the previous property owners right and so i mean to me though speaking of different levels i mean in some level we can think though even though there is kind of this you know meta or overarching kind of situation in terms of the disputed land in in a larger sense um, that perhaps filters down into these kinds of, uh, you know, like often centered on like a couple hundred acres or even a couple dwellings here and there. I, I mean, I think, and this is is my angle into this, and, and you know, to full disclosure as with you, I mean, I'm I would, you know, in, in by and large tend to see that um, though there has been you know huge amounts of injustices perpetrated, um, and I, I mean that genuinely, not as just a kind of cliche throwaway line. I mean, I really I really understand that. Uh, I, I think especially if if we're looking in the last 20 or 30 years, um, increasingly I've, I've found that, you know, in, in some ways it's not about like who's good or evil, but that the Israeli government has the power to, as you're mentioning, you know, to occupy the West Bank, to serve as a military state in the West Bank and um, to control the situation in Gaza or effectuate things in Gaza on a level that is not, at, at all possibly reciprocated. And so that, again, that's, that's not a question of like good or evil. That's just a question of, of kind of factual power dynamics, dynamics. Yes. And, and what I think, you know, that, that this gets back to like the conditions under which these property disputes take place is not a, a situation of some sort of like what we call like an ideal type 
Um, no, absolutely. Like liberal me, civil me. society. I mean, so it's yeah. not, I mean, like what, what I would, and I don't think you're necessarily trying to do that, but what, what one could take away from what you're saying is like, oh yeah, I mean, this is like just no, any other a, court. I mean, there's, there's a, a really, there's, no, no, there's an there's overarching really kind of set of conditions that have shaped like the very, you know, the very conditions that are under dispute are themselves the product of a fairly asymmetric power dynamics, right? And Absolutely. Uh, um, there's, there's a, there's, there's a caveat to everything I'm saying about these property disputes. And it's a huge caveat. And I probably should have started with it. The huge caveat is Israelis who had property in the occupied territories, specifically, more specifically in East Jerusalem, but in general in the occupied territories, Israelis who had property Jews who had property have a law that allows them to get that property back or get restitution for that property. There is no symmetrical law that allows Palestinians to get their property back from Israelis. Right. And I mean, is that even even true of Arab? Is that even true of Arab Israelis? Well, so the the thing about Arab Israelis is they didn't leave. Right. But some of them did leave their dwellings. Like they they did flee from one place to another. So 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 the the the, the Arabs who were internally displaced in um Israel hmm. by and large live in the same places they did. They they went back so quickly. Like there were never any Arab refugee camps in Israel proper. Those people went back to their their home. Even though I'm having like a legal conversation or discussion about these specific cases in Sheikh Jarrah or, or you know wherever, the the overriding reality is we're talking about a situation where one side has legal rights that the other one does not. Right. Because deeds, like property deeds, are always bound up with a political set of political institutions, right? They never, like, property in the abstract doesn't really exist. It exists within a certain political context. Uh, there's, also, there's also another caveat that I okay. want to give. And it's, mm. it's something that most people don't know about this situation. All right, okay? tell us something we don't know. So, so with the caveat caveat about Israel Israeli law, there's also the caveat that in 1982 these people were offered a deal that they could live there as protected residents, right? Legally, uh, uh, a definition in in Israeli law that stops eviction and and these kind of things. Mm. They could live there in these in these dwellings as protected um, residents if they agreed to pay rent. They agreed to pay rent in 1982. They have still not paid one shekel in rent. Again, during the the, the most current court proceedings about this, they were offered if they started paying rent now not even retroactively, just if they started paying rent now, they would be given the status of protected residents and be allowed to stay. Um, Part of this is also a 
political refusal to pay rent, right? The, the Palestinian Authority has gone, you know, emissaries from the Palestinian Authority have gone to these people, especially in, in 1982 after they agreed to the deal and said, you can't pay this rent. If well, you I pay mean, this rent, it legitimizes right. what's happening. Well, and I think there's a point to that. I mean, you may not agree with that point, but no, like, no, absolutely. You know, but I, but I I'll think also that's, say, I'll also so say, but that, that gets the point. Know, but it's uh, not just about rent; it's about what that rent would acknowledge, or, or like you said, legitimate. Right, I mean, but, it's, so, but but at the same time, it's not just about eviction, right? And the hmm. story that is told is Israelis just want to take this over, right? <laughs> I mean, isn't that ostensibly true? I mean, let's let's be wait, honest. Wait. I mean, they do want to take the but control wanted, of East Jerusalem. Wanted, I mean, that is the wait, stated. Wait, I'm talking not, about wait, the stated wait. goals. But Kevin, we're not talking about East Jerusalem. I'm talking about this current conflict, right? And what people are being told about the realities of the situation in Sheikh Jarrah. Everyone comes at it with their own preconceived notions from what they've been told, right? right? Or, what they, or what they've come to believe. I mean, let's be or fair to people. I, yeah. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people, I think people who haven't spent time here, mm. for the most part, come to their opinions on what they've been told as opposed to deep research on, on the situation. I mean, yes and no. It depends. I, I've never been to the Holy Land, unfortunately, but I feel like I've, I've, you know, spent a good amount of time trying to learn about it, and I, I feel, you know, I have a, a healthy appreciation for for some of the finer nuances. Maybe they, it wouldn't be the same as if I if I lived there, but I've been to Jerusalem. But I, I don't know. I, I mean, well, so anyway, but so anyway, the, the claim is made that, and and we're not talking about Israel here, the settlers, right? And this mm -hmm. is, you know, it's what I see all the time, right? The settlers are trying to take over Sheikh Jarrah, right? Right. In, in, in some ways, it's, you know, part of the complication of all of this thing is sometimes it's uh, a fight between national aspirations hmm. and sometimes it's a fight between small groups of individuals. Right. Hmm. Um, and so the, the claim is the settlers are trying to take over Sheikh Jarrah. Okay? OK. If the settlers were trying to take over Sheikh Jarrah. Why would they offer to let these residents be protected residents, which mean would mean they they couldn't be evicted mm. if they just paid rent? You know what I mean? There's 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 complexities and there's nuances right. that that kind of get missed. And no, no, I, I okay. So, well, what what I'm hearing, and and I could be totally um, off base here, but I mean, what I'm hearing though, and, and this is, I think, gets to the point where this is on one level. I mean, it is operating on multiple levels. Like you do have, like in this case, actually two dwellings, right? And and you, you, I think you laid out nicely, kind of the historical ebbs and flows of 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 how this dispute kind of came to be. But I think there is something to the notion that, like. If you the, because what what the goal is, and I, I I believe except for you know there are some fairly extreme views, and certainly among settler communities, there might be some people who are like, yeah, we don't want any Arabs living in East Jerusalem or in these neighborhoods at all. For sure. But I think, but I think for a lot of the, a lot of people involved, and most people involved on you know from the Jewish Israelis um, in these areas are like 
fine, we don't mind if Arabs live here, but there needs to be an acknowledgement that this is Israel proper. And and in some ways, like, and I know it can seem petty or like to you know small because we're talking about two residents, but I think I think it, the irony is both sides do see significance in this. Like, you pay this rent and you and you accede to this, and you are tacitly acknowledging the foundation that this is um, Israel proper. You're making an agreement as it is, like you're saying, importantly under Israel Israeli civil law, which if you're accepting that and acknowledging the legitimacy of that decision and that course of action you are so it, it so it's it's it, it, there there is nuance where it's like yeah they're not they're not trying to get you know most israelis are not trying to get all arabs or all, all palestinians out of that neighborhood but they're they're like you're going to live here as in israel proper east jerusalem as israel proper and the palestinian authority um has as you said like kind of advised or encouraged um and perhaps these obviously these families have it to some extent agreed like by doing that you, you know, you're you because for most Palestinians still want, and, and this is, I think, one of the big rubs um, that that we can think about spilling into to the conflict, and maybe we can, you know, kind of transition from this, is that they still see East Jerusalem as, which was the original idea, um, even amongst a lot of Jewish Israelis, right, that East Jerusalem would be the capital of the state of Palestine. So there is some like, I mean, there is something to it. It's not just it is one level about these two houses and about paying oh, rent or not but no, it but it's about is. like what is east jerusalem is it part of israel's civil authority or is it part of i mean that's the irony if it was the <laughs> i'm guess i'm wondering if like it was under the occupation government if the palestinians would be more willing to pay it was like okay we'll pay the occupiers because it's they would, all, they, they would also have more rights against eviction right no there's definitely different legal standards in different places but but I think that's um, the fundamental thing, like the, like acknowledging acknowledging East Jerusalem as part of again Israel proper is for most for I, I would hazard to say all Palestinians like extremely po- problematic. No, I, I I agree with you one hundred percent. Here is one of these complexities, right? Because this gets in like it's very easy to look at it that way. Mm-hmm. Not I'm not I'm not saying that as as a as a dig on you, right? It, right. It, to, to look at the information and, and draw that conclusion is rational, right? right? Um, but it, it, it doesn't take into account, like, and this is one of these things that I've, I've learned most is in so many of these things, what we do is we look at the, the facts and we say, okay, this is the, the conclusion I draw from that. Mm. And we don't think of, we don't think about the, the, the why, right? We think a little like we're we're talking now about the why of why the these Palestinian residents what would not want to pay rent. Okay, mm. let's think about the why of why the Jewish landowners would not be willing to accept not getting rent, and it's not because they're terrible people. Right. Okay. I mean, when wait, we're talking wait, wait. about such wait, low amounts of, okay. wait, we're talking on. about such low amount. Couldn't the Israeli government just pay them and say, look, that's this is a volatile. That's not the point. Okay. Just like, just like, couldn't the, the Palestinians just pay it? Right. <laughs> there's, there's. I know we're talking about paying rent in two houses in Jerusalem. No, no. But, oh, but God, it's such where did this world come to? Why are human beings so crazy? 
it's such a, it, I think part of the reason that, that this Sheikh Jarrah dispute has taken on this life mm-hmm. is that it so perfectly highlights so many of the critical issues, right. the critical macro issues on a micro level. Exactly. And and so, no, and that's kind of what, what I was trying to do is not, I, I, I get like, so that's what I'm saying. You're, you, you, you dialed it back down to like, okay, these, there's these Jewish Israelis who own the house. Well, but hold on. There's a point I want to make. That okay. I, that I right, would, right. Yeah. Let's hear it up. Let's hear it. So, so. You're a guest here. Talk, you get, you yeah. get the space. You get some space in the caves. Okay. So, so no, no. Cause I was, I was, I was, this is what I was getting to just before is the reason why these these Jewish landowners want rent is very much about trauma. It's very much about trauma. Mm-hmm. The majority of Israelis, either themselves or within the last two generations of their family, have been dispossessed of property in either Europe or the Middle East. Mm -hmm. So you have people whose generational and immediate trauma is that they had their land stolen away. They had their property stolen away for nothing, no restitution. I mean, isn't that the and case so, for a lot of a lot of a lot of Palestinians who lived in what is now Israel? I mean, I, I think there's a, a similar thing there too. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Right. This is what right. I'm saying, right? Mm. What I'm saying is this intergenerational trauma. Mm. And and not always intergenerational. There's not lots of you know my 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 ex my ex's um, grandmother mm-hmm. walked from Iraq to Israel with nothing. Mm. Everything she had was taken, and she walked from Iraq to Israel with nothing. Mm-hmm. So these traumas are not some ancient history. Sure, and. The idea of this is just another time where my rightful property is being taken away from me. The Mm. other side has the exact same, not exact same, but very similar generational and immediate traumas about land and ownership. Mm. Right? And so neither side is... Due to their to their traumas as as peoples, mm. neither one of these sides is is willing to compromise on this right of ownership because because they've both been been dispossessed, right? Yeah. They you know, and so they they want to show that okay, you know, the, the Palestinians want to show that this is mine and I shouldn't have to pay for it, mm. and the and the Jewish landowners are saying. This is mine, and at least I should get paid for it. Yeah, and and so there is that, like, so there is, like, and I think that's a, a really um, interesting kind of component in, that you're bringing to the discussion is that it, it really does. There is this component that it is about, like, on some level, a much more like civil, like, level kind of dispute. I mean, rent disputes are civil, civil disputes. 
but but it's um, also in the national context of right. these national yeah, struggles. So, so that's where I'm going with this, right? In that it's not even like I, I'm just hypothetically saying, like imagine a scenario where it's like, okay, this this East Jerusalem is now under the control of the Palestinian Authority, but you know there's these Jewish families that own this property in in Palestine that you need to pay rent to. I'm guessing they're like, okay, yeah, we'll we'll pay you some rent. <laughs> you know, I mean, so I, I think like, so all is a way to say not to, you know, I'm not trying to be reductionist here, but I think it, it does, this is where like you're talking about, and I think you, you said well, like how this encapsulates so much of the layers of this conflict and and the kind of larger historical and and even more immediate political context. And to me, that kind of rub is East Jerusalem. I mean that that is the it's, kind it's, of the it's not just in East Jerusalem. It's 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 wider than that. But yeah, I mean, well, that, I, I'm I mean, I mean, in some ways, yeah. On one level, East Jerusalem is, seems almost impossible, but of course, it's a that's a smaller piece of even a bigger puzzle. But let's just start with East Jerusalem as like, you know, and 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 I said I'm not. A, I think there is you know quite a few people in the left in Israel, um, um, Jewish Israelis, and obviously a lot, quite a few Arab Israelis. Who for decades in you know said okay East Jerusalem you know will will serve as the kind of capital of a future Palestinian state. I mean that was that's not, I mean now what's interesting and this and I think this is shows about power and the changing conflict. Like we're old enough now. Um, you know I'm, I'm I was born in the 70s, so I came up in the 80s and 90s. Um, particularly in this you know learning about this conflict in the 90s, like that was pretty stock. That was like stock George W. Bush, like saying like. We should have a Palestinian state with East Jerusalem as the capital, right? That was like not now. Yeah, absolutely. But now it, within Israel, oh, Jesus. I mean, like like in terms of the mainstream political factions that have been in power, I mean, that that is considered like uh, anathema. Ask why. <laughs> why? I mean, it, it, you know, like my, my biggest thing in, in looking at this conflict mm. Um, and lots of people don't even like the word conflict to describe it, right? Because it it suggests some kind of symmetry. Right. Um, but but my biggest thing um, looking at this conflict and studying this conflict is um, really people don't ask the question why. Everyone like it's been going on so long, right? Mm. Everyone thinks they know why. Right. But most people have never even even within the conflict, most people have never asked someone on the other side. Why? Well, I mean, there's right? not so, one why. I mean, I think there's there's no, like, no, but, I mean, I think this has been like a classic iterative like iteration. Like there's no, a there's the, an evolving the, why. The, the collapse of the Israeli left, the peace camp um, has has a direct. Cause. I mean, let me let me let me make it a little bit more explicit. Like, if you ask someone in in, in the Israeli government, like a centrist in the Israeli government, um, in in the 1980s, like, why are you building settlements? You would get one answer. If you ask someone in 19 in the mid 90s, why 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 are we expanding the settlements? You get another answer. If you ask someone now, you would get a different answer. So why can be evolving? It's it's a part of iteration. It's yeah, not, but there's not a there's not a static why. You're correct. Except okay, let's stop. <laughs> I'm done. I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play that on loop. I'm yeah, gonna, just, the whole podcast. Here, I'll give you I'll give you a good one, right? <laughs> Kevin, 
Kevin, you've got that 100% correct. Yeah, and it's just going to be me riffing, and then I'm just going to fill that in and loop yeah. it. Um, <laughs> um, All right. So, okay. So, but you know what I'm saying? So, like, the why changes. Yeah. So, but, but, but we're talking about the last 30 years, right? You, you wanted to know why this change in the last, or we're talking about this change in the last. 30 okay. Years. Yeah. And it was in the context of like within, so let's, let's go back and refer, you know, just to restate it. Right. So the, I'm asking why, what used to be considered reasonably mainstream center left, maybe, and in the, and then obviously the farther left in Israel backed East Jerusalem as um, the capital of a future Palestinian state that was considered kind of a standard view. Um, yeah why now within the Israeli political milieu, like the center, if we're like thinking about where the center is, that is considered just, again, anathema, a horror, something crazy to say. Uh, I, I wouldn't go that far, but the, you know, the Overton window has definitely shifted to the right in the Israeli body politic right. over the last 30 years. Okay. Um, and then I'm at, and then we go to why, why? So that's, let's, let's, I mean, cause I think again, like it helps to focus on specific kind of issues to, to, because there's so many. So like this East Jerusalem question has really changed um, within Israel. Um, and why is that? So it's, it's Oslo and the breakdown of Oslo, which, which was the second Intifada. The second Intifada is such a trauma on Israelis uh, for a couple of different reasons, right? You know, the 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 destruction was significant. The loss of Israeli civilian lives was, you know, really significant. But but beyond that, it was the feeling that the Israeli left had pulled together so many Israelis and gotten them on the side of peace had gotten them to, to come and to the Israeli government to, to become something that would come and sit down at the table, mm. which had never happened before, right, in terms of the Palestinians. So all of that progress was made, right? The establishment of the Palestinian Authority, allowing the PLO to come back from Tunis, right? Mm. The idea of, can, can you imagine any situation where the United States would have said, Okay, Osama bin Laden, you know what? You can come in here and, and lead a political party, right? All right. Well, I, mean, I think a lot Arafat? of it well, suffice to say, like comparing bin Laden and Arafat is, is you know, I, I mean, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, but look, in, in the term, <laughs> how about this? How about this? In, in, the, in the viewpoint mm. of Israelis. Okay. But you could also add in the viewpoint of Jordanians or the viewpoint of Syrians as well, because Arafat tried to overthrow both of those countries. Mm. Um, you know, but but the idea that we had gotten the Israeli government to the point where they would accept Yasser Arafat coming back, allowing him back into the country, hoping for a better solution, right? So, you know, the Israeli public, for the most part, really bought into this hope that this was the moment that, you know, there was going to be the breakthrough. Right. And the response to, and, and you can, you can, 
look at Clinton's writings, you can look at Dennis Ross, you can look at any of the people involved in those negotiations. All right, just just to back up, because we might even have some younger folks um, uh, listening here, right? So when you're, yeah. you're, you're referring to Second Intifada that broke out after the breakdown of peace negotiations at Camp David in yeah. the late 90s at the end of the Clinton administration, right? So exactly. just to, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are well abreast of this, but just to, to, <laughs> to fill, it, fill in the details, yeah. right? Uh, Arafat and Ehud Barak came to Camp David um, right. encouraged by Bill Clinton, um, a deal for a Palestinian state. And, and I believe with East, East Jerusalem as a capital, was that yep. part of the deal? Okay, it was, it was the most sweeping offer that had ever been made. And, right. and like Barack went in there and offered East Jerusalem, something like 98% of the West Bank and Gaza, Palestinian control over the Jordanian border, right? Like this was of all the deals that had been offered right. by far the most substantial and really like something should have happened with it. Okay. And, so, and I'm going to ask uh, Mike, the analyst, not Mike, um, you know, from, yeah. from, you know, like what, what was Arafat like, and just give him, give, give me the best argument. Cause I, I'm, you know, to be honest, I, I always hear this, that Arafat walked away from this great deal um, and to be quite honest, that is a bit of a gap in my knowledge. Um, so give me your best argument for why um, why Arafat walked away from that deal. So so there's there's two, right? There's two that I can think of. The, the first one, which is one I hear a lot, is he saw what happened to Rabin. He saw what happened to Sadat. Uh, Rabin was assassinated, just to, again, a, a little fill in, right? Yeah, Yitzhak Rabin, Yitzhak, was, Yitzhak Rabin was assassinated right. by a right-wing Israeli, mm. you know, after the signing of the Oslo Accords. Anwar Sadat was assassinated by uh, the Muslim Brotherhood after, after signing peace with Israel. Right. Okay, so Arafat sees what happened to Rabin. What happened to Sadat? Both of those societies, let's say, were much more stable and security controlled than Palestinian society at the mm -hmm. time. So he had a real fear for his life if he if he agreed to this. Number one. Okay. Uh, number two. It, it was a compromise. It would have been a compromise. Right. So that, that yeah, so you 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 focused on kind of what what was in positive on offer, but like the the like one thing and I think this is again one of those like put it put it in the category of important yet seemingly irresolvable um uh the right of return, right? So there would there yeah. would have to be a renunciation. I think that might have been also yeah. um, right, right, so own. I just want to clear that might have been the thing that got him killed. That might have been yeah. the thing that got him killed, right? Um yeah, exactly. Let me let's be clear on what we're talking about, right? Because there's a lot of you know confusion about this issue as well. Well, th well, this is good because this kind of circles us back to where we started, right? The right of yeah. return, and like you know, again, the the claims and counterclaims of legitimate, and this is where I'm saying property rights are contingent upon political environments or, or institutions, right? And so they can, you can't. There's no like abstract ownership. Right, doesn't exist in the abstract. It exists within a political context, right? And so, in that in that in that context is is part and parcel to these issues, not only in East Jerusalem, but with the with the right of return and, and what it, what the status of those are, um, 
it goes beyond, you know, it, it, it's inevitably bound up with a set of political realities on the ground. So, oh, so go ahead. What, what you, you yeah. Know, so, so when we're talking about the, the, the right of return for Palestinians, right. Um, the idea of the, the Barack offer, right. Was a two state solution, right. Is, uh, Jews have right of return to Israel. Palestinians have right of return to the new independent Palestinian state. Hmm. Okay. What, Arafat was not willing to give up on was the right of Palestinians to return to Israel proper, right. to, to the Israeli state. Um, and personally, and this is this is not analyst Mike. This is personal Mike. <laughs> um, I like personal Mike. All right, go ahead. Personal Mike has very severe doubts that Arafat was ever going to be willing to make real compromises for peace. Nor am I sure he even wanted to. There's a lot of me, and he, he had said so much in the past, there's a lot of me that believes he saw Oslo as the first step to taking all of Israel. And it was just I a, mean, it was just a stepping stone. I'm 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 uh, you know analyst Kev's coming out here. This is analyst analyst Kevin's revol- responding to personal Mike. Um analyst Kevin says, "Look, I'm not an Arafat expert, but you know, again, I'm I'm a child of the 90s. Um and so I you know, this was back for for all, you know, our younger listeners like it, for in the 90s this was front and center in global politics and discourse. I'm, it 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 pops up here and now, but it's it certainly receded in a way that um, wasn't the case in the '90s, so yeah. I'm, I'm reasonably always a way to say I'm reasonably familiar with with Arafat and you saying that I, I just it doesn't like it doesn't jive with what I think of Arafat as is ultimately one of the craftiest and most shrewd political actors um, we've seen. And in, in, in the right. fact that he that he so, you know, I'm not that's not a, a hagiography of like Arafat is like some great human being, but he was just a shrewd and, no, and, and he very and, and, and ultimately a point is someone who is as shrewd and as politically adept as Arafat knew that the Palestinians were never going to take over Israel. I mean, that's just not, it's not. Um, the, I mean, that was his rhetoric. He might have I'll said that in a speech, way. but deep down, he he again, he is a consummate survivor. Yeah, like no, you said, absolutely. Like, lots he of was. people want, lots of people, the Mossad was after him. Arabs were after him. Arab governments were after him. A lot of people want Arafat dead yeah. for a long time. The fact that he, he died of, of natural wait, causes wait. Yeah. is a pretty, he won. It's a he pretty won. impressive feat. But, but when I say I don't think he wanted to make peace, right. it's because of this, right? Arafat died with $3 billion in Swiss bank accounts. Right. He, he was made incredibly wealthy. Mm. by the Palestinian national struggle. Mm. He was made very wealthy because there was not a government to funnel aid and he was skimming from aid money. Mm. Right. You know, 
Uh, yeah. So I mean, I, I think Arafat is not was not is not some like you know was 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 not. I, I mean, I, I'm I'm very I'm very short on the whole notion of political uh, uh, any pol- political kind of actor being heroic, right? So I'm, I'm not, yeah. not. But I mean, it goes to the point where I, I guess my main point is I don't think Arafat would ever be so naive as to think like, yeah, we're gonna like the Palestinians are gonna take over all of Israel one day or, or in any in the next three or four hundred years. I mean, who knows what you know? We can't. See you know, that it, it, it's hard to tell because he he's he. he would say things like um, the Palestinians greatest weapon is our women's wombs. Right. The, the idea that, okay, even if we can't win by warfare, we're going to win by out, like by population growth. Right. I've never heard heard that. That's a, that's a pretty, but there's this, there's this whole, Part of his rhetoric was that was about um, kind of even when the military struggle is done, the struggle still has to continue. Mm. Um, and, you know, to, to be fair, the, the leader of Hamas just the other day made similar comments, you know, in terms of in terms of this is just any piece is just a first step. Okay, well, you know, you Hamas has finally um, popped up in this conversation. Now, you know what, and I, and I like the way this has turned out. I mean, I, I think the actual kind of conflict, or or like you said, you know, however you want to describe it, between uh, recently in in Gaza um, and the exchange of of fire, well, fire and, and obviously, you know, whatever one thinks, um, the some of the scenes out of Gaza were were quite horrific. I do know um, some Israelis were also sadly killed in in these um, exchanges of mortar fire but uh two in my city right so we're gonna but we're going to i i think in some ways uh, that has been the caves of altamira our mission here is to kind of dig into undercurrents and we've certainly been doing that so this is excellent and and but since you mentioned hamas i mean questions i have and 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 and, you know i want to hear your thoughts on them i've always liked kind of hear your your takes on these things Okay, that's a wrap for the first half of our conversation. I think we've laid some really nice groundwork here, and at least to my mind, I think the second half of the conversation really builds upon this to push forward an interesting set of ideas, and we have a really interesting set of exchanges and back and forth. So um, I hope you enjoyed this half of the conversation, and I hope you'll tune in next week to hear the second half. Thanks so much, as always, for listening, and have a great day. 